have good things ahead in this year. God has good things ahead for us this year. I was listening to uh, my husband, Reuben. Um, he preached last week and I wasn't here. I was with the kids. And so I listened to the podcast later and I, I loved his message about just this one more year that, that the gardener wants to, wants to dig and he wants to work in your life and he wants to continue to transform you so that you may bear fruit this year. And as a church, we, we, we pray a lot about you. And we talk a lot about you, our community, the community that is under our responsibility to shepherd. And so as, the, as last year came to an end, our pastoral team got together and we prayed and we talked about, you know, what, what is it that God has for this church in 2024? What is it that, that God wants to do? What is it that God wants to remind us of in 2024? And so as we prayed and as we talked, we came down to three words that kind of encapsulate our priorities for 2024. And it's not that other things are not important. It's just that in the context of our circumstances, in the context of the different things that are happening in our lives and what we sense in this community, we feel that, that maybe God has to focus our minds and we have to course correct or we have to bring certain teachings that inspire you to live in the will of God for your life. And so this year, our three priorities are to extend, equip, and partner extend, equip, and partner. And you will hear us say this throughout the year. Um, and uh, I will be speaking on this first priority to extend. Actually, it was meant to be uh, Dina preaching today. So for the rest of January, this is we're going to kind of be setting our vision for this year and our focus for this year. And Dina was supposed to preach this morning, as I said, but I really felt passionately about this topic and so I kindly asked if I could steal this message and so he'll be preaching next week so you get me today. Um, but I really wanted to talk about this first priority to extend because it's been burning in my heart and, and I really pray that I will be able to convey the same message that I've been hearing from the Lord. In Christianity we have two greats, the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is given by Jesus to the Pharisees when they go up to him, they're teachers of the law, and they say, Jesus, well, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Of all 613 laws at the time and all the Jews at that time, they had all these cultural traditions and add-ons that they also added to the law. And they said, well, what's the greatest? And Jesus sums it up very calmly. And he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so as, as Christians, we follow this great commandment. And it's a commandment to love, but not love in this, in this superficial way. Not love in the way that maybe the world knows love to be, but love in this fierce way. Love in this profound way. Love in a way, this, this love that has such a high standard that only God can empower us to love in this selfless, in this giving way that we would want to love love others as we would love ourselves and that we would give ourselves fully to God. That is the first or that is the greatest commandment that we follow. But then we have the Great Commission. 
And the Great Commission is given to us by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. He had died and he resurrected and now he shows up to his disciples. And this is what he tells his disciples in verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who has chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Someone who's chosen to learn from him, to be close to him, to be defined by him, to surrender their lives to him and follow him. And so the Bible says, and, and, and if you are a Christ follower, if you have decided to follow Jesus Christ, then Jesus himself has told you, now go and make disciples. But why? Why, Gabby? Why, would, why do I have to go and make disciples? Isn't that something that pastors do? Isn't that something that, that those great evangelists like Billy Graham, isn't that their responsibility? I, why must I go and make disciples? And the answer is love. And we go back to our great commandment. The answer is love. Love for Jesus and love for others is the reason that we share Jesus. It's the reason that we want to make disciples. If I was to ask you, what's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? And if your answer is, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me is my relationship with Jesus. If I was to ask you, what's the most precious thing that you have? What's the most valuable thing that you have? And if you say, it's my faith and my relationship with Jesus, then what is the greatest thing that you can do for someone other than introduce them to Jesus? introduce them to Jesus out of your profound love for them because you want them to have the greatest thing that has transformed your life that has changed you go and tell people about Jesus introduce them to your savior introduce them to the one who has created them and who's called them and who who knows them deeply and loves them the same the one who has a purpose and a plan for them that's the greatest thing that you can do for someone that you truly care about. How many of you like surprises? Wow, only a few of you? Okay, some more of you. I really like surprises. I know that not a lot of people, not everyone is that way, but I really like surprises. Ruben uh, came to know that soon when he married me. Actually, we were dating and it was my birthday. Um, and he just showed up to the office where we worked at the time. And he just said, happy birthday and gave me a gift. And that was it. <laughs> and I was like, there's no surprise, no element of like, <laughs> that was it. But I grew up in a family that loves surprises. I love when it's somebody's birthday and friends get together and buy them an expensive gift that they're not waiting for. I love when somebody is traveling and they come all the way and nobody knows about it and they haven't seen them in a long time and they just show up at the door. I cry in those reels of like parents who've been working abroad and come to their children and surprise them. I love a good surprise. But here's the thing about a good surprise. The element of secrecy is everything. And he would probably deny it, but my father loves surprises, and yet he's not the best at them. <laughs> 
because he can't keep a secret. <laughs> he just, he just, he's so excited about whatever the surprise is that most times was his idea, but he's so excited that he, he can't just, he'll just slip in some information. And then at some point we have to pretend like it's a surprise because he's been so obvious about it. And, and so not everyone is the best at surprises. Ruben, uh, he planned a surprise for me this summer and actually he did very well. And he asked Pedro and Jode to take care of uh, Sky and JD while we went away. And I knew we were going somewhere, but I didn't know where. Um, but just like two days before going, um, Pedro Luz gave me a ride. <laughs> and we were in the car and he goes, so uh, are you excited for Abidush? Or he said something like that. And, he, and we kind of looked at each other. <laughs> I don't think you're meant to tell me that. <laughs> And so we might have uh, told the surprise there. But the point is that when we are excited about something and when we, when we plan a surprise, it's so hard to keep a secret because it's good news. And something good is about to happen to that person and we just can't hold it in. And here's the best news is that the beauty of the gospel is that the good news of Jesus Christ is no secret at all. It is the best news that everyone has ever heard, and we don't have to keep a secret about it. We can just freely share with people that Jesus Christ loves you. He's died for you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He profoundly wants you. But as a church, I feel like sometimes we treat Jesus as like a top secret. We come to church on Sunday and we praise him and we bless his name and we are so in love with him. And thank you, Jesus, because you're everything to me and you mean so much to me and you've done so much in my life. And it's amazing that we get together with brothers and sisters and we praise him together. And then we go to work on Monday and we talk about the weather. And they ask, how was your weekend? Oh, I rested. It was nice. And there's no mention of the amount of, of beauty that you experience at church with your brothers and sisters. And, and, and very little times there's mention of, of how Christ encountered you and how he comforted you that weekend. Or how he touched you or how he encouraged you. And so we go to university or we go to our families and we have the single best news that humanity has ever heard. And yet we hesitate to tell people about it. Meanwhile, we're called to tell people of the good news. We're called to find, and not just find opportunities, we're called to create opportunities to tell people about Jesus Christ. We're called to share the gospel. The gospel is an Anglo-Saxon version of the word evangelism, which comes from the Greek word euagelion. If anybody's Greek, can pronounce it now. No? All right. <laughs> It means a good message. And euagelizo is the verb which means to announce, to declare, to bring good news. I know that evangelism gets a, a bad rep these days. It has a negative connotation, but it's a wonderful thing. It is good news. It is to proclaim, to tell somebody good news. But here's the thing. The gospel is not a sales pitch where you tell people, oh, your life is not going well. Well, Jesus loves you. Follow these steps. Here's a checklist and everything will be all right. That's not the gospel. Actually, the gospel, these good news that we have, it starts with really bad news. The biblical gospel says you're an enemy of God. You're dead in your sin. 
It's so bad that you don't even realize how much you need life. You're so blind that you can't even see how much you need sight. The Bible says that that God is angry at evil. He's angry at sin. I know that this might be hard for people to hear, but the truth is that this loving father, he cannot stand by as he sees his children hurt themselves and hurt others. And so God, as a loving father who hates sin, he doesn't find adultery entertaining. And he he doesn't laugh at white lies when they scale into deception and into shame. Our God doesn't apathetically just scroll past the news of murder and wars and discrimination and racism. No, he hates sin. He despises evil. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And you and I, we are sinful and we cannot manufacture salvation. We cannot produce a quick fix. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot do something to cleanse ourselves, to enter into the presence of this Holy Father where he'll just be like, okay, it's all right. I'll just, I'll just turn my eye now. We can't program salvation. We can't manufacture it. We can't bring ourselves to life. And this is where the good news comes in. The good news and the true gospel is that a, a just and a loving father would look on his hopelessly sinful people. And he would send his son to reconcile us to him. There's a song that says, Jesus, you didn't want heaven without us. And so you brought heaven down. And Jesus comes, the son of God. And he's born in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. And he's born of a virgin and he lives a perfect life. And he, and he takes on the wrath of God. This anger that God has towards evil and justice has to be done. And Jesus takes on this wrath of God. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Please, Father, take this cup away from me. If you would take this cup away from me. That cup is not the cross. It's not, it's not just the nails that would pierce his hands. It's the wrath of God. It's you and I sin on him. And yet for the joy that was set before him, Jesus obeys and he endures the cross. But three days later, he resurrects, he conquers death. And because of that, you and I can enter into the holy presence of our God. Not because I'm perfect, not because I did anything to deserve it, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I can boldly, the Bible says, not just walk in, kind of knock on the door. The Bible says, boldly walk into the presence of a holy and a perfect God because of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. And I'm looking at some of your faces. (laughs) And you've heard this before. Oh, Gabby, she's preaching the gospel again. We've heard this. But I'm sharing the gospel 
not only because there's some of you here that maybe have never heard the gospel and this is the good news that I need you to hear, but also because there's people in here who need to be reminded of the gospel because it's when we fully understand how good this news is, how transformative this news is, that Jesus came so that we would be reconciled, so that we would have a new identity, so that we would have a new hope, so that you and I would never be alone, but we could boldly and confidently enter the presence of a God who has a plan for us, who created us, who who dreamt us into being, who designed you. These are good news. And it's when you understand, it's when you become aware of how good this God is that you are ignited to love others and tell them of these good news. But Christians can be so grumpy. We have the best news, but we spend so much time complaining and and being so demanding and and judging each other and we're divided and we're fighting and we're bickering and the world is looking at us and going, what is so good about their good news? And I admit that sometimes by the way that we live our faith, the way that we live our Christianity, it doesn't sound like good news. It doesn't look like good news. My friends, the first way to go and make disciples is by being identifiable as a disciple. People should look at you and know there's a follower of Jesus. The Bible says in John 13, a new command I give you. This is Jesus speaking and he says, love one another as I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. Be patient to each other. Be kind. Be good to one another. Be hospitable. Forbear with each other's mistakes and weaknesses. Love one another so that others may see who you follow and then extend that love. Extend that love for people outside of these four walls. Hey, invite them in. Say, this is not a place of judgment. This is a place where we're going to embrace you with the love that is not of ourselves, but Jesus is here. Because he lives inside of us and come in, extend the love. I read this quote, John Allen Turner this week. It says, it is hard to convince people that a God they cannot see loves them when a church they can see doesn't seem to like them. When people look at your life, may they know that you are a disciple of Jesus by the way that you love. I decided to become a disciple of Jesus when I was about seven or eight years old. And I want to tell you a bit of my story this morning. Some of you maybe have heard, um, maybe not. Uh, but to give you some context of, of my testimony, I was born into a family of Christ followers. My great-grandfather on my mother's side, his name is, was Alfredo Machado, and he was um, a great pastor, a great theologian, a professor. Um, if I was in a Portuguese church and I said this, this name, maybe it would ring a bell to some people. Uh, and, and he was a great pioneer of the Christian church in Portugal. He wasn't a perfect man. He was a man who made quite some mistakes in his life, but he was a man who loved Jesus with all of his heart. Until he was about 95 or 96, he continued writing. He wrote many, many books of, of just how, of these good news and, and of the gospel that he knew. And he was passionate about making disciples and he preached all over Portugal. And, and that was 
the, that is in my heritage, this great man of God that just loved Jesus and wanted to make disciples. And then his oldest daughter, Sara Katerinu, my grandmother, she became a spirit-filled preacher. And she traveled the whole world, and she was a pioneer uh, of women in ministry especially. She's one of my biggest references, one of my biggest examples. Someone who just broke down cultural barriers and, and kicked down religiosity in so many places just because she wanted to use every opportunity that she had to tell people of the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, not someone who had an easy life, not someone who was perfect, someone who went through really difficult things and, and, and a lot of it because of ministry, but someone who was so in love with Jesus and, and her radical obedience and her courage to obey is such an example in my life. And to this day, some of you have heard her preach in here or other places, and she is just on fire for Jesus. She's a great disciple of Jesus and her greatest passion is to go and make disciples. And then my grandma Sada had uh, Martha, my mother. And my mom, she grew up in this environment, in this family of Christ followers. And because of this example that she saw, she decided at some point that she wanted to be a disciple of Jesus and she wanted to give her life to Jesus. And so eventually when uh, it was, she was the right age, she decided to go to Bible school. And it was at Bible school that she met my dad, Eddie Fernandes. And some of you know Eddie. He's a very loud and wonderful man. <laughs> but she met him there, and my dad came from a very different context. My dad was raised in South Africa, and his dad was an alcoholic. And so that kind of determined the environment that he grew up in. There was a lot of uh, physical abuse. There was a lot of uh, verbal, emotional abuse. It was a very broken home. And so eventually that led him into a life of drugs and sex and alcohol and all kinds of things. And he went through a very dark period. But one day my dad met Jesus Christ. And he heard the best news that anyone can ever hear. He encountered grace and he said, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And so he decided to leave South Africa and come to Portugal and go to Bible school because he was just so on fire for Jesus. And Jesus had encountered him and he just wanted to go and make disciples. His dad actually came to Portugal with him to make sure that he was going to Bible school because it was so, uh, he just couldn't believe it. And so, in fact, he did go. And that's where he met my mom. They were students of my great-grandfather who was the professor um, and eventually they got married. They went to South Africa uh, to, to pastor there and to make disciples there. They also made babies. Me and my sister were born in South Africa. Uh, and then in 1996, they felt a call to come to Portugal. And they felt a call to come to Portugal because uh, they wanted to plant a church, an international church, where they could make disciples among the English-speaking internationals. There wasn't an international church at the time. And so they really felt God calling them to come to Portugal in 96 and start what is today Riverside Cascais. And we are a fruit of that church that they still pastor today. And so that's the context of my testimony. But we know and we believe that in Christianity, it's about a personal relationship. And so just because you're born into a Christian family, it's not a stamp on your passport, but it's a personal encounter and decision. And so when I was seven years old, I was at this camp and my dad was speaking and he's sharing his testimony. And as he's speaking, he's describing the man that he was. 
He's describing the drugs and the addictions and, and the, the anger and everything that he had experienced. And as he's describing the man that he was, I'm sitting there in a unique position as the daughter of the man who's speaking. And I'm comparing that man to the man that I know as my father. And I couldn't compute the two. And the man that I experienced as my father, I could only describe it as a miracle. What he was saying, this man that he had encountered, this Jesus, this grace that he was describing, it could only be true because that man is nowhere near the man that I know is my loving, my caring, my faithful father. And so I remember that day. That day I went in the quiet, seven years old, eight years old. And, and, and however a seven-year-old can understand this today, maybe I'm speaking about it in a more profound way, but it was more profound than maybe a seven-year-old could usually understand. And I just remember in my simplicity, in my innocence, saying, Jesus, if this is what you do in people's lives, then I want to follow you. If this is the grace that you show in people's lives, then, then I want to follow you and I want you to shape me. I want you to shape my character. I want you to shape my personality. I want you to shape my future. And Jesus, I want to tell people about you. People who are broken like my dad. People who had this life. I want them to know you. And I want them to encounter and be saved by you. And so I dedicated my life. And that was the day I decided to be a Christ follower. To be a disciple of Jesus. And my testimony is maybe not as radical as my dad's. <laughs> Maybe it's not as radical as so many people who had near-death experiences and they went through all kinds of trouble and, and I didn't have this rebellious period. My testimony is a testimony of deciding to follow Jesus and experiencing his goodness in my life, experiencing his protection in my life, experiencing his grace in my life, that though there's been some hard periods, though there's been some challenges, I could stand up here and I could tell you story after story after story of how God has been so good to me, of how Jesus has been present in the valleys, in the mountains. He's been there for me and he's opened doors that I never thought I could open. He's put me in places I never thought I could be. And he's blessed me and he's been present with me. What's your story? How has Jesus saved you? How has he transformed you? How has he encountered you? And if you haven't decided to follow him, then I have good news for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no small print. There's no parentheses. It's just everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will encounter this Jesus I'm talking about. But if you have decided to become a follower of Jesus, then the verse goes on. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And the verse goes on, but the point is, how can they know him? How can they believe him? How can they fall in love with him if they've never heard? Church, we have such good news to tell people, but we have so many hesitations. And we have so many fears. And we feel so uncomfortable for so many different reasons that stop us from telling people of the good news of the gospel. So today, as with the time that I have left, I want us to turn to two passages in the Word. 
And my prayer is that these examples, they will inspire us to go and to make disciples. To go and share the good news in environments and with people that only you will reach. I'll never get there. I'll never meet some of the people in your life. But you will. And so I pray that these passages in the word will inspire us this morning. So if we turn to John chapter 9. The Bible says, as he went along, would you open that for me, please? Thank you. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming and when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors, those who had formerly seen him begging, asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. And then we're going to skip a few passages for, for time's sake. But the Bible says that, that he's brought to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are insisting, Who did this? Who's this man that healed you? A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man who healed you, this man who you proclaim did something to you. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I love the story of this blind man. I love how he just shares his story. The Pharisees are pressuring him to tell him who healed you. And, and at one point, the man, he doesn't really fully know Jesus at one point he says he's a prophet that's all that he could imagine Jesus would have been this man doesn't know everything about Jesus but one thing he did know he was blind and now he could see Jesus had profoundly touched his life and no one could argue with that his experience was an irrefutable argument that no one could argue with my friends you will never fully understand the mysteries of God the complexities of theology. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I hear many of you sitting in these seats here today say, Gabby, I, I, can't, I can't pray much less in public because I don't know enough. Gabby, I can't talk about the word because I don't know enough. I can't go and share with my friends or with my family because I don't know enough. You will never know enough. And rightly so, because we serve a God who is so much greater. We serve a God, and, and, and don't, don't get me wrong, people who stand up here, we don't know enough. 
We could spend all of our lives studying and pursuing, and please do. You will spend your whole life pursuing the God who is king over the universe, and you will never know enough. But my friend, don't let that stop you from sharing your story that I was blind, and now I see. This man didn't know the full revelation of who Jesus was, but that did not stop him from sharing his story that I was blind, and now I see. This man touched my life. I need us to stop with excuses of not knowing enough. And I need us to open our mouths and to tell people what Jesus has done. To tell people in your life that he's comforted you, that he's healed you, that he's brought reconciliation in your family, that he's given you a purpose, that he brought you out of depression that he changed the thoughts in your mind, that, that he broke addictions in your life, whatever he did, you know what he did. I need you to tell people the good news of what Christ has done in your life. People need to hear the truth of the gospel. People need to hear the gospel that Jesus came and he died and he resurrected. The word says in 1 Peter, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. People need to hear the gospel. But don't let not knowing enough stop you from telling your story. It's powerful. It's transformational because what we preach is not a religion full of doctrines. What we preach is a relationship that is profound and it's intimate and it's transformational. And you know what's amazing? That after the man gave his testimony, after he shared his story, the Pharisees, they kicked him out. And when he experienced the rejection of man, you know who found him? The Bible says that Jesus went to find him. And he has a conversation with him. And at this point, this man receives a deeper revelation of who Jesus was and his faith is strengthened. If people reject you and they throw you out, Jesus will come find you and reveal himself in a deeper way than you've ever experienced before. Share your story. Share what God has done in your life. Go and make disciples. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to ask Pedro if you will read this passage, please. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So I want us to learn a few things from this passage. And we're going to go to the top. And the first thing we learn is that God can do more. 
Can you repeat that? God can do more. The Bible says that it was just another day. There was nothing special about this day. Peter and John were going to pray, and this man was there, and he was begging for money. He didn't wake up thinking, this is the day. I believe this is the day that I'm going to be healed. This is the day I'm going to be transformed. Actually, this man was born this way, and so he'd grown accustomed to this limitation in his life. He didn't have, the Bible doesn't tell us that he had aspirations for anything to change. People cannot believe for something they do not know is possible with God. And the truth is that God can do extraordinarily more than we can think or imagine. The, or, or William Lasor, a theologian and scholar, he says, It is not the church's business in this world to simply make the present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God in Christ. And again, this is a story about physical healing, but I need you to understand how God can do infinitely more than what we can think in people's lives. That when we start sharing the gospel, that our prayer is that people will encounter God and sometimes they will receive physical healing, but much more profound than that, much deeper than that, they'll receive salvation and that changes everything. God can do infinitely more than you and I can imagine when he encounters someone's life and they're not expecting it because they don't know the God of the impossible, the God of grace, the God of love, but you and I do. And so we should expect for more. God can do more. The second point we learn is that we are called to see people. The Bible says that Peter looked straight at him, that when this man, he asks and he begs for money, Peter looks straight at him and he asked the man to look back at him. You have to stop to look at people, to truly see them. And maybe no one else will, and maybe no one else will stop to look them in the eye. We make so many assumptions about people. We make assumptions about where they're at and what they've probably done to get there. And, and, or we're too busy, and we're, we have a plan, we have a schedule, and so we don't stop. But, but what we learn here from Peter is that you have to stop and look at people. Do you know what it's like to truly feel seen and heard? And there's people in your environments, in your work, in your building, with your family, with your friends, that are desperate to be seen and to be heard, but you have to stop and see people. You want to go and make disciples stop and look at people. And then the Bible says, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. When you see people, when you stop to hear people, they will give you their attention. And it is likely that they will expect something from you. The man gave them his attention. And when he did, he expected something. And perhaps when Peter says, look at me, he probably even just reached out his hand, thinking that Peter is going to give him some money and make his condition, somehow support his condition so it's more bearable, people will expect all kinds of things from you when you start looking at them and when you start telling them about Jesus. Oh, so you're a Christian. You're trying to tell me of your God. Then show me the results of your Christianity. Show me the career. Show me the family. Show me where this is going. Show me the picture-perfect family and, and show me the picture-perfect Christian package that I'm going to get if I, if I follow the God that you're telling me about. But the gospel is not that. 
The gospel is not come to Jesus and you get the spouse and the house and the job. The gospel is come to Jesus and receive salvation, receive inner transformation, receive a peace that surpasses understanding, receive a joy that we cannot explain, receive a love that you will never fully comprehend, receive the greatest relationship that changes everything. The gospel is about Jesus, not you, not what you have to show. The gospel is about telling people of what Jesus has done and who he is. Peter didn't have what this man expected. He had something better. His faith in Christ over that man's life. And we spend so much time preoccupied about the silver and gold. Oh, we are in ruins if we ever get to the point of saying silver and gold I do not have. But my friends, it's far worse to be someone who never has the faith to say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You might not have what others expect of you, but it's far more concerning to never have the gospel to share. To not have good news to tell people about the Jesus that has changed you. In the specific story, Peter was given the gift of faith to believe over that man's healing. And again, it's a story about healing and physical healing in this case. And, but the church is not called merely to see signs and wonders. Jesus didn't say, go and heal people. Go and show them crazy, amazing, supernatural things. Jesus said, go and make disciples. We're all called to share the good news of a God who can transform and do exceedingly more in someone's heart and life. And maybe and possibly God will bless you with riches of this world as well and with many blessings like the house and the spouse and the job. But our gospel is so much more profound than that. Our gospel is so much deeper than that. Our good news is so much more permanent than that. And so my encouragement to you, church, in 2024 is give what you have. What you have is the greatest gift that anyone can receive. Jesus Christ himself. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Sharing the gospel is like sharing water to someone who's dying of thirst. We have the water, but we hesitate and we see them dying. But we hesitate to give the water because well, what if they don't like me when I give the water? What if they reject the water? Or worse, what if, what if they reject me? And Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't hesitate to share the best news. It is because we love that we share the gospel. I thought it was really beautiful how Sunil was sharing yesterday. We had this workshop, and um, I'm going to invite him to come and share just now. But he was saying how he gave this story of how he had his neighbor, and he, he just felt uncomfortable to share the gospel. And then he realized, why, why do I feel uncomfortable? And he realized it was because he was more worried about his, what his friend would think of him. He was more worried about his dignity than placing love for him first. And sometimes when we don't share the gospel, it's a selfish condition because we're more preoccupied about our reputation and what man thinks of us than sharing news that will save them, will transform their lives, their marriages, their families, everything. 
A disciple who loves makes disciples. And you might not see the end result of the seed that you sow in someone's heart, but again, it's not about you. It's about Jesus and his encounter with his people. I like to call the worship team up. Church, this is our one of our great priorities for 2024. We need to be reminded to go and make disciples. We need to not live a Christianity, and I'm not saying we're, we're living that way, but I want to remind us and I want to encourage others and myself to be even more intentional. I don't want to live a Christianity about me. I don't want to be a church that, that gets together on a Sunday like a club that enjoys the goodness of God. I want to be a church that thinks beyond these four walls. I want to be a church that is constantly not having enough space because we need to invite people to come and hear the good news. I want to be a church that doesn't rely on the pastor to share the good news, but a church where everyone is so passionate that they are having conversations at work, with their families, with their friends, when you go to the doctor, when you're filling up gas at the petrol station, that you would have this intimacy with the Holy Spirit that you listen to his prompting when people need to be seen and heard around you. Make disciples because of love. Share your story. You will never know enough of God, but don't let that stop you. Share what he's done in your life and what you know of him. Stop to see people and when they give you their attention, give them what you have. God, I pray that you will continue to speak to us this morning. That we will be disciples who go and make disciples. God, reveal to us the depth of the gospel. For us to truly understand how good this news is. And light the flame in our hearts that we just want to tell people in a gentle and a respectful way as Peter encouraged us in the word. But that we would share. That we would see people and be curious to hear about people. Not make assumptions or judgments about their situations, but that we would see people hear them, listen to them. And as they pour out their hearts, that we would bring the healing that is the gospel, the hope that is the gospel. Here we are, God. We want to be used by you to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray.